See, what I see is a generation of young Christians that are filled with fear, they're filled with insecurity, and they're filled with a lot of anxiety. Tonight, I want to talk to you about overcoming those things in your life. See, we tell, our, we tell ourselves a whole lot of lies. We tell ourselves, um, you might say to yourself, I'm not tall enough, or I'm not skinny enough, or I'm not good looking enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not cool enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not holy enough, I'm not adequate, or I'm not worthy. About a month ago, um, I went to the country of Iceland, just me and my nephew from Ohio, and did a, spoke at a youth retreat there. And on that Saturday afternoon, um, I was just talking to those youth about the idea that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And there was this young man named Alexander. We call him Alexander the Munchkin. And because uh, we've known him since he's like five. And he was this chubby little kid with bright red hair, really thick glasses. Uh, but he's 15 now. And so I'm talking about God loves you and has a plan for your life. And he just spoke up and he said, that's funny. I thought God hated me and that I was a disappointment to him like I am to my parents and everyone else I know. And, and something kind of happened in that moment. And, and I looked at him and I said, you know, Alexander, God, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And here's what I see in you. I see someone who's kind and who's loving, who's a good friend. And then some of his Icelandic friends started just to speak into his life. Um, Like uh, one of them said, you know, when someone's being bullied, you're the first one to step in. And as, as we're trying to speak into him, he's saying, no, you're lying. That's not true. That's not true. And yet you could see that he was really taking it in at the same time. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. This is a little bit long, but it's really good. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you because the light will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you just to take, take a few minutes tonight to think about the miracle that is you. Without going into a whole biology lesson, and I kind of took some of this from Louis Giglio also from a video that he did. But um, without going into a whole biology lesson, we're, I'm just going to give you some facts about the, mir- the miracle of you. See, there was one cell from your dad that met up with one cell from your mom, each carrying 23 chromosomes. And the one cell from your dad carried half of his DNA, while the one cell from your mom carried half of her DNA. And when those cells met, they merged into one single cell. And when they did, those chromosomes matched, and they began to form together a brand new DNA code writing out what we know to be the three-billion-character description of who God ordained you to be. If you were to take the DNA from that one single cell and stretch it out, it would be six feet long. If I were to take that one simple cell and read one character per second of that three-billion character DNA code, it would take 96 years, day and night, just to read the description of you. And when they formed together, they wrote out and painted a picture which had never been written in the history of humankind. You are absolutely unique. Then that one cell took on the task of creating that model of creating the 75 trillion cells that make up your body. If you were to stretch out the DNA in those 75 trillion cells, it would stretch to the moon and back 178,000 times. It's stunning. It's absolutely amazing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So when you or someone else tells you that you're not tall enough or you're not skinny enough or whatever it is, you need to remember that you are a miracle. Not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, but you have gifts and talents. For the last few weeks, Jeremy has been talking about the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts as believers in Jesus Christ? There's, there's a lot of gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's different types of the gifts of, of gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Pathfinders on Sunday night, we were talking about this. There, there are the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are things where God displays his power in the congregation or or Um, to people. There's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. But then there's ministry gifts, the gift of being an apostle or a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. But I want to zero in just a little bit on the motivational gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are things like prophecy and serving, 
teaching, encouraging, giving, administering, and mercy. See, you might think you don't have any spiritual gifts, but you need to ask yourself a question. What is it that gets you excited? See, do you feel deep compassion for people that are in a difficult situation? Because if you do, you probably have the spiritual gift of mercy. Do you love to get in and help when there's work to be done? Because if you do, you probably have the spiritual gift of serving. Do you love to plan and organize to accomplish a task? Because if you do, you probably have the spiritual gift of administering. Do you love to make people feel better? You probably have the motivational gift of encouragement. Do you love to speak truth into a situation no matter what? Because if you do, you probably have the motivational gift of prophecy. My wife is a prophet. She'll speak truth to you no matter what. Amen? Do you love to save money so that you can give to worthy causes? Because if you do, you probably have the spiritual gift of giving. Do you love to impart knowledge of the things of God to others? You probably have the spiritual gift of teaching. But aside from the gifts that are given to you by the Holy Spirit, you also have talents and abilities that God has given you to equip you for the work that he has for you. Yeah, we go on, we go on these missions trips to Iceland every year, and, and, and our ministry is really weird. We do sports evangelism. We, we do uh, sports camps for kids. We do uh, day camps for kids. We do uh, ministry to teenagers. We preach in churches, and we, we need guys who are good at sports. We need guys who are good at, at speaking, public speaking. We need guys that are, are good with music and can lead worship. See, God's given you gifts and talents and abilities for you to equip you for the work that he has for you. God's gifts are an expression of his love for you. But what you do with those gifts is an expression of your love for him. Let me say that again. God's gifts are an expression of his love for you. But what you do with those gifts is an expression of your love for him. So not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made and you have gifts and talents, but you have a place that you belong The Bible tells us that we're all members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 15 through 27. Again, this is a little bit lengthy, but if you would, just bear with me. This passage of Scripture describes um, kind of this absurd conversation that goes on between the different parts of a body. Starting with verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, it is, is, it not, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would, the hearing, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, if the whole were hearing, then where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are 
there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. You have a place that you belong See, when you begin to act in the gifts and callings that God has placed on your life, the body will be strengthened. The problem comes when we begin to compare our gifts and and our place in the body with someone else's. But not everyone can be up here preaching or, or singing or on the drums. God knows I can't play drums. Thank God for uh, for Josh, our drummer. Thank God for for Kristen and for Tate and for Lily and, and those who lead us in worship. Thank God for Jeremy who shares the word of God with us every single week. Thank God for, for Jessica who runs the media and for those who come in and clean up and set up and, and clean up after the service. When you compare yourself, your gifts, and your callings with someone else, it's not fair because God didn't make you to be that person. The fact is that your part in the body is absolutely indispensable. Don't be that other guy because what we need is you. One of our core values that emerge is that we're a family made of friends. See, this should be a place that everyone is welcome. I mean for real, not just getting up and saying, welcome everyone, but I mean everyone really being welcomed and going up and talking to people. Hey, what's your name? Where do you go to school? And finding out about them, finding out about their brothers and sisters and their parents and and things going on in their life. We need to welcome people for real. Enough of rejecting those who don't look the way we think they should or don't sound the way we think they should or even the way, even act the way we think they should. Maybe the reason they act that way is because they're seeking acceptance and maybe, just maybe, we are the reason they act the way they do. Every person is created in the image of God. Every single person has value. Every person has a story, and sometimes the most loving thing you can do for a person is to just listen to their story. But you know what? God thought that every person was worth the price that he paid through the death of his son, and that includes you. So you have a place that you belong, but I want you to know tonight, too, that you matter. It's been said that the chief purpose of man is to know God and to make him known. At our Iceland team retreat last weekend, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. 
Jesus and the disciples were out on the hillside with a multitude of people. They, they call it the feeding of the 5,000, but most scholars think there were anywhere from twelve to 15,000 people there because they only counted the men in those 5,000. But there were women and children also. So he's with this multitude of people out on the hillside, and it was mealtime. They were hungry. And the people were hungry. The disciples tried to get Jesus to send the people away, but he made the audacious decision to feed them. I mean, they barely even had enough food for themselves, let alone twelve to 15,000 people. It's crazy. But there was a boy, and he had five loaves of bread and two fish. And he simply gave Jesus what he had. Then Jesus blessed the loaves and the fish. He gave the loaves and the fish to the disciples to give to the people. He took what was offered to him by that little boy, which was obviously not enough, but he blessed it, and it was enough. What if the disciples hadn't stepped out? What if that little boy hadn't offered his lunch because he knew it wasn't enough? What if the disciples hadn't stepped out to to serve the food to that multitude because they knew it wasn't enough? That miracle never would have happened. See, we live in a world that's spiritually starving, and God calls us to share the bread of life with those people. I want you to think about your friends. They're spiritually starving if they don't know Jesus. And are you really okay with it if they spend eternity in hell? Is that okay? It can't be okay. And you might think, what can I do about it? What you can do about it is to offer Jesus what you have. Let him bless it and it will be enough. See, you matter, you are chosen, you are called, and you are equipped with all that you need. You just need to step into it. You need to act on it and do something about it. See, maybe you're the one that will reach the outcast that no one else wants anything to do with. Maybe you're the one who's going to lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. Maybe you're the one that's going to help a person that's homeless to find a job. Maybe you're the one that's going to help Jeremy with setting up for cleaning up after Emerge or some other activity. The fact is that saved people serve people, and you have something to offer. And whether or not you do that job matters. In Exodus chapter 3, In Exodus chapter 3, Moses meets God at the burning bush. And God tells him to go um, tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And, And they have this big, long conversation. But before the conversation's over, Moses asks God, well, if the people um, ask me who sent them, if they ask me your name, what should I tell them? And God said, tell them, I am that I am. Tell them, I am sent you. 
John, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus was accused of blasphemy because he told the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be God. I want you to know tonight that you have a loving father, you have an indescribable savior, and an ever-present comforter. You may have had a father who portrayed you may have had a father who portrayed your heavenly father really well. He may have been kind and loving and provided for you, but some of you have never had an example of a loving father. You may have been told that you're worthless and that you'll never amount to anything. You've may, you may have been physically or verbally or emotionally abused. But know this, you do have a heavenly father that's madly in love with you. He created you for a purpose and he has a plan for your life that will help you to achieve that purpose. See, God chooses you to be his. Isaiah 43.1 says, but now, thus says, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. He chooses you to be his. You have an indescribable Savior. I want you to think for a minute about Jesus. Think about all that he gave up. When he came to this earth, he, he left heaven. He had everything, and he came to this earth just so he could die for you. I heard it said, the Son of God became a son of man so the sons of men could become sons of God. When we weren't enough, he was enough. He paid the price for our imperfections and our inadequacy and our sin. And we have an ever-present comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. John fourteen sixteen says, And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another comforter, that he may be with you forever. Acts two seventeen and 18, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. See, the Holy Spirit is here to work in your life. He's here to empower you to be his witness. He's here to give you gifts to equip you to do his work. And he's here to comfort you. You are never, ever, ever alone. Lauren Daigle sings a song called You Say. If, if you would just uh, start that up, Jessica. I'm almost done. She sings a song called You Say, and I'm not going to recite all the words, but some, some of the words in this song say, I keep fighting voices in my head that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short, when I don't belong. You say I am yours. 
I believe, oh, I believe, what you say of me, I believe. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. See, when, when I think I'm not strong enough, God says, I am. When I think I'm not good enough, God says, I am. When I think I'm not holy enough, God says, I am. When I think I'm not enough, God says, I am. When I think I'm not adequate, God says, I am. And when I think I'm not worthy, God says, I am. See, it's not about me. My identity comes in Jesus Christ. Because he is, because he is God, because he is holy, because he is righteous, because he is my savior, I can come into the presence of God as being righteous and holy and worthy. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what, I, what he has done and because of who he is. Because he is, I am. I've been debating whether or not to, to share this next thing, but I think I am. <laughs> Over the last year, this last year has been really difficult um, for me um, and for my family as a result. Just a little bit over a year ago, um, we had a situation with, with my business. If you, if you don't know, um, Debbie and I run six homes for people with developmental disabilities, like mental retardation, autism, and those kinds of things. And it, we're licensed by the state of Missouri, and um, the state sends us these notices uh, periodically on some of our clients who have regular jobs. And um, if, if they make a substantial amount of money, then they want those clients to actually pay for part of the cost of their care. So they, they send us these notices. Yeah, just keep that song going. Um, so they send us these notices saying, you know, we've assessed this person's wages and um, this person in particular um, is to pay $156 a month um, beginning on December 1st, uh, 2012, I think it was. So we collected that money, as the notice said. Well, we found out last year at the beginning of April that that notice doesn't actually mean what it actually says. So for six months, I was personally under investigation by the state of Missouri for misuse of client funds. I was picturing going to prison. I was picturing losing my home, my car, my freedom. I felt about this tall. I wasn't enough. I, 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 it, it was bad. My, the level of depression inside of me was so bad. And, you know, in the past, when I've been in a hard situation, my prayer has always been, God, get me out of this mess. But over the course of that six months, maybe a month or two into it, 
my prayer changed. My heart changed. My prayer changed to not being, God, get me out of this mess, but to, God, you're worthy. If I go to prison, you're worthy. And if I'm exonerated, you're worthy. If I am flat broke, you're worthy. And if I end up a rich man, you're worthy. If, if this happens, you're worthy. And if this happens, you're worthy. No matter what it is, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. See, it wasn't about him. I wasn't good enough. I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the ability to get myself out of this mess, but God did. See, I'm not. I'm not good enough. But God says, I am. He'll help you. No matter what the struggle. When I, when I was growing up, I was a scared, shy little kid. I didn't talk to anyone. But for some reason, he chose me. And he gives me opportunities to do things like this. I'm not enough, but he is. Would you bow your heads with me?